four culprits. The serpent, the devil, Eve, and then Adam. We'll look at Adam, Lord willing, next week. We, we, um, I got so wrapped up in my study this week, we're not even going to get to Adam until next week. As you know, the term eat my dust these days means that the one who eats someone's dust has been beaten badly in a race or other contest, right? That's pretty humiliating, but it's not nearly as humiliating as what eating dust meant when Moses wrote the book of Genesis. That was part of the sentence that God pronounced upon the serpent after he tempted Eve to eat the fruit that God had told them not to eat. Pastor Steve Kreloff will tell us more about that today on Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. We're studying the fall of man as recorded in chapter 3 of Genesis. In previous lessons, we saw the cause of sin and some of the results of sin. And then there is the curse of sin. The serpent wasn't the only one cursed. We all suffer its effects. But let's start with the serpent, okay? Here's Pastor Steve. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis 3, we are studying Genesis 3, and I'd like to read beginning at verse 14. And the Lord said to the serpents, because you've done this, cursed are you more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly shall you go and dust shall you eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you shall bring forth children. Yet your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Then to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat from it, cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Mark Twain once said these words. He said, let us be grateful to Adam. He cut us out of the blessings of idleness and won for us the curse of labor. Now, Mark Twain really wasn't much of a theologian, and and that statement reveals it because uh, Genesis chapter 3 does not teach that... uh, that idleness is a blessing, nor does it teach that labor is a curse. We want to be clear on that. But Mark Twain is not the only person who has misunderstood uh, the passage of Scripture that I just read from. Genesis 3, specifically, these verses have been uh, misunderstood, in my opinion, by many people. A lot of people since Moses wrote it so many years ago. It is a passage, you see, that raises a number of questions. And let me, let me raise some of those questions for you to get you to think. And, uh, as we go through the, the study this morning, uh, knowing that there are some problem questions, it will, uh, arouse your interest in terms of trying to solve those questions and answer them. For example, in verse 14, we're told that, that snakes are to eat dust. That's, that's the language of these verses. On your belly, you're going to crawl, you're speaking to the serpent, and from this point on, you're going to eat dust. But scientifically speaking, snakes do not eat dust. They may eat uh, animals that are on the dust, but they do not eat dust. So, is there a contradiction in the Bible with science? Is there a problem here? That's a, that's a question. What does that mean? Secondly, uh, in verse 15, let me read it to you. I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed, and, and so forth. Uh, is this addressed to the serpent? That's one question. Or is it addressed to Satan? 
Does it go beyond the serpent to the devil? Uh, and, and who is uh, the seed of the serpent or Satan? Who is the seed? And who's the seed of the woman? Who is Is that Cain? Is that Abel? Who, who's the seed of the woman? Is he referring to Jesus? Who's the seed of the woman? Also, he says in this verse that I'll put enmity, enmity between you and the woman. That's a little more than, than hostility. There's an ongoing conflict. Does this mean, does this explain why most of us are afraid of snakes? Now, I know there are some who aren't afraid of snakes, but uh, most of us would prefer not to be around those slimy creatures. And you know where I stand on that. Okay. And also, in verse 16, um, it says, "Your to the woman, to Eve, it said, your desire shall be for your husband. What kind of desire is this? I think most assume that this is sexual desire. But I want to raise the question, is that what he's talking about? Because in a husband and wife relationship, normally it is the man that has a greater sexual drive and desire. Is it talking about emotional desire? How about economic dependency, that kind of desire? What's he talking about? And then the phrase, he shall rule over you, is man's leadership a curse? This is in the context of it. Uh, the feminist movement would say so. And, and what kind of rule is this? So I want you to see that this is not an easy passage of Scripture to handle. In fact, um, Bruce Mills said to me earlier this morning, he said, I don't want to put any more pressure on you. Of course, you know, whenever somebody says that, you know what you're going to hear. <laughs> but he said, I've been waiting for this a long time to see how you're going to handle verse 15. And I said, oh, I'll tell you, I'm going to jump from verse 14 to 16. That's <laughs> what I'm going to That's why a lot of commentaries do it. You come across a point that you don't know, you just jump down to verse 16. But no, we're, we are going to cover it. See, these are just some of the questions that, uh, that this passage of Scripture raises, and we want to answer it biblically, answer them as we go through it. And uh, I, I think the, the first way or, or the primary thing that you must do is um, in a passage like this that has so many questions is to establish what you do know about this passage to be true. You, you first have to land on some solid ground and then you answer your questions in light of what, is, uh, uh, what are truths that you cannot misunderstand. So let's begin there. What is this passage about? Last week we saw that after Adam and Eve sinned, specifically the fall of man was in Adam, and Adam we sinned, Romans 5 says. But we saw last week that uh, after Adam and Eve sinned, there were natural effects or results of the fall. They, they really were not punishments per se, they were natural consequences, results, effects of the fall that all of us experience uh, to one degree or another, especially until we, we come to Christ. Uh, there was guilt. Adam and Eve felt guilty. And the reason they felt guilty is because they were guilty. Secondly, they were fearful. They ran from God. They hid from God. They were afraid. They never knew fear before. They never needed to fear. But now they were afraid. And thirdly, we saw that they made excuses. When God said to Adam, what have you done? He said, well, the, the woman that you gave me, she gave me the fruit to eat. It's not my fault. It can never be my fault. You, if you gave me somebody else, I wouldn't be in this predicament. And then God turned to Eve and said, and what about you? And she said, well, the serpent that you made, I mean, implications, you made the serpent. He deceived me. It's not my fault. And that's where we stopped last week. Now, 
The passage that we're about to look at uh, is more, really not the natural results or, or effects. These are divine punishments now. God speaks and these are oracles of punishments. These are, if you will, these are divine curses upon the uh, various individuals involved in the first sin. These are four sentences pronounced upon four culprits. The serpent, the devil, Eve, and then Adam. We'll look at Adam, Lord willing, next week. We, we, um, I got so wrapped up in my study this week, we're not even going to get to Adam until next week. But these judgments, and here's where it's relevant for us, they're not ancient in the sense that they're just, um, they're just for them, that it doesn't influence us. Every judgment made uh, on these individuals affects us today. For example, it's not just to that serpent that God uh, had a curse. All serpents... All serpents crawl on their belly today because of what that one serpent did. All of Satan's seed or children, you know where I stand on that now when I raise the question. You'll see that it is Satan's children, Satan's seed. It's all unbelievers that he's referring to. And then when he speaks to the woman, it's all women. It's all women. It's not just that Eve uh, had problems and pain in childbirth. Every woman here who's given birth to a child can say amen. It's not just for Eve. All, and your desire will be for your husband. He'll rule over you. That's for all women. And then for Adam, uh, it wasn't just for Adam that he's going to have uh, hard times in labor, that the ground will not produce very easily for him. All men have that. So these are judgments that we experience too, and that's why it's very, very relevant. So these are four guilty parties, and therefore four divine penalties or sentences issued out. And that's, that's really where we're going. That's the direction of the outline this morning. We'll look at three of them. The first, and you have your notes in front of you, so you can fill this in. The first divine penalty is given to the serpent. And the serpent's sentence is this, humiliation, deep humiliation. We begin at verse 14. And the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. Now having just spoken to Adam who blamed Eve for his sin and then to Eve who blamed the serpent for his sin, God now turns his attention to the serpent. He doesn't ask any questions as he did to Adam and Eve. Now he just passes judgment. And the judgment is specifically this. On your belly you will go and dust you will eat all the days of your life. God pronounces a curse. First of all, he says, you are cursed more than all the cattle and more than every beast of the field. That's very interesting. One thing this tells us is that when man fell, when mankind fell, the animal kingdom fell as well. We live in a cursed world. It affects man You'll see next week when we look at agriculture and, and, and how now it's thorns and thistles, it, affect, it affected nature, what we would call nature, creation. But it also affects the animal kingdom. In fact, uh, let me read to you Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter 8, Paul makes a, a statement that really goes back to Genesis chapter 3. At verse 20 says, For the creation was subjected to futility. That's the fall not of its own will, but because of him who subjected it in hope. That is, the creation all around us, you may think it's a really pretty world that we live in, and at times it really is, but that's nothing compared to the original 
uh, creation that God made. It is a cursed world and it groans because God has cursed it, but it groans in hope because there's coming a day when the curse will be lifted. He says in verse 21 that creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans, and that's animals as well, groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. It's like uh, for all these thousands of years, they've been like in labor pains. And someday they're going to give birth to the, the millennial kingdom. So all of creation, including the animals, groan because they are under God's curse. Now, let me just explain something. I've used the word curse several times. What is a biblical curse? When, when we tend to think of curse, we, we think of usually vulgar language, uh, somebody saying something that's foul and, and dirty talk and that type of thing. But what a curse really is, when we use a curse, and, and even in, in biblical uh, times, a, a curse is a, is a desire, a, a wish to us when we use it. If we say something you know, to somebody, and I'm not going to give you an illustration of it, but if we say something that's a curse, we're really saying, I wish this horrible thing upon you. And you know what? Uh, that's a harmless thing. Now, I'm not endorsing that. That's not good. We ought to use proper language and appropriate speech. But you know what? If somebody curses me, uh, it doesn't really matter because they don't have the power to do anything. So what? So what if somebody tells me to go to a bad place? So what? Who cares? They said that. But when God pronounces a curse, that's rough because he does have the power to do that. And that is what a curse is. A biblical curse or a curse in a biblical sense is to be removed from the place of blessing by God to experience punishment. It's to experience punishment. And, and that's what this is talking about when God says he curses them. In other words, animals are no, no longer experienced now the harmony and blessings that they once had. They do not experience it because God has cursed them. He has removed harmony in the animal world. They never did any harm to each other before the fall. That's why in the kingdom, the Bible says the lamb will lie down with the lion. Because it's, it, it, it wasn't rough like that before the fall, and it won't be rough like that after the fall. Little animals and big animals will get together. It'll be fine. But they are now removed from harmony and from the blessings that God originally created them to have. So they are all under the curse. However, what this verse is saying in Genesis 3 is to the serpent, you are cursed more than everybody else. More than everybody else. Why and how? Why did God do this? And how are they cursed more than anybody else? Well, first of all, why was the serpent cursed more than the others? And here's the, here's the answer. Because he allowed Satan to use his body to deceive Eve. In other words, he yielded his body to the use of Satan. He was responsible. But more than that, the serpent, by, uh, the, by yielding to Satan, listen to this, exalted himself above man. Remember, early part of Genesis, you want to keep this in mind, that man was appointed to rule over the animal world. That's what it says in Genesis 1.28. It says, and God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth, and that includes serpents. Rule over them. You are in charge of them. But this serpent, this snake, put himself above man, therefore his punishment fit his crime. His crime was exaltation, so his punishment was humiliation, deep humiliation. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life." 
That is humiliation. Now, it may very well, and I don't know this to be a fact, but it may very well have been that the serpents originally had legs. Maybe the serpents originally had wings. Maybe the serpents originally, as God created him, stood upright. We do know he was shrewder than all the other animals in the, uh, the field. He, Jesus even spoke about that in Matthew 10. Be wise as a serpent, very shrewd. But now he's a lowly reptile sliding and gliding and slithering on his stomach. That is deep humiliation. And to my knowledge, and I could be mistaken, but to my knowledge, the snake is the only animal that has a uh, a bony skeleton that moves upon its belly. In fact, I was watching um, on television recently the Discovery Channel, and they showed the skeleton of a snake. There are a lot of bones that a snake has. A lot of bones. In fact, the uh, the announcer said that oftentimes snakes can crack bones and still continue moving. They have just so many. Their whole body is just bone. But they still glide and slide along their, their belly. Now, what about the eating of dust? That's what we raised, a uh, question we raised earlier. Is the Bible in, in error because snakes don't literally, they don't actually eat dust. They don't do that. No, the Bible is not an error. And here's the answer. The expression eating dust is a figure of speech used commonly in the Bible and also ancient language to refer to humiliation and degradation. It is an expression of speech. And let me just show you this so you'll know that I didn't just invent that and come up with that. Micah, let's look at a few few passages. In your Old Testament, you may not find Micah very quickly, so let me read it to you. Micah chapter 7, verse 17. God says this, speaking now of the humiliation of the Gentile nations, he says they will lick the dust like a serpent. Now, I don't mean they're going to literally lick the dust. They're just humbled, humiliated. Like reptiles of the earth, they'll come trembling uh, out of their fortresses. To the Lord our God, they will come in dread and they will be afraid before him. Then Psalm 72, verse 9 says something else about the the king's enemies and their humiliation. Psalm 72, verse 9, Let the nomads of the desert bow before him, and his enemies lick the dust. Once again, just an expression. I think maybe the most helpful one is Isaiah chapter 49. Isaiah chapter 49, verse 23, And kings will be your guardians and and your uh, princesses, your nurses. They will bow down to you with their faces to the earth and lick the dust of your feet. Speaking of of Israel. And, And you know what? We even have a similar expression today. If a sports team, for example, gets beat really bad, we say they've bit the dust. They bit the dust, and I'm not even going to mention names of teams, but anyway, (laughs) bit the dust. So here's the point. Here's the point. The serpent who once exalted himself is now in a perpetual state of humiliation. He has been reduced to a slithering reptile. And I want you to know this. The effects of this, of, of this curse won't even end. It will never end, even in the millennial kingdom, which is astounding. And and I want you to see this. Isaiah 65, if you don't turn to at least mark it down. Isaiah 65, verse 25. Listen to this. God speaking of the millennial kingdom. The wolf and the lamb will graze together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. 
They will do no evil or harm in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. God is saying that even in the millennial kingdom, when the lamb and the lion uh, lie together because the curse is lifted, the snake will still be humbled and eat dust. That's an amazing, amazing statement. Now, what does it, what does it say to us? How do you apply this? And don't think that this isn't a challenge to apply this to us. But I think that um, one thing we can say is that you see how seriously God takes sin. God takes sin very seriously, that even in the millennial kingdom, because of what the serpent did, he will still slide on his stomach. It also says to us, every time you see one one of these uh, slithering snakes, it is a reminder to us, it ought to serve as a reminder from God of the fall of man. Next time you run from one, think about that. It ought to remind you that, that the curse has come as a result of that fall. It is a reminder of the seriousness of sin, a visual ongoing reminder, and the premium that God puts on obedience. It also has, even though it wasn't a, a person involved in this, it also says something about uh, don't exalt yourself. All of these things are wrapped into this. We need, to, we need a reminder, and that's what I think this is. It's an ongoing reminder every time you see a snake of of the importance of obedience, the importance of not exalting yourself, and how serious sin really is. So the serpent was sentenced to continual humiliation, but the serpent, keep in mind, was only a tool of the devil. Only a tool of the devil. So in verse 15, the verse that Bruce has been waiting for, God pronounces judgment on the devil himself. I believe that uh, verse 15 is really dealing with the devil. The serpent was sentenced to humiliation, but Satan's sentence was this, defeat by the seed of the woman. Notice verse 15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. Now, most likely, let's just use some sanctified thinking and project a few thoughts here. Most likely, Satan believed that with the fall of man, he had won the allegiance of Adam and Eve. I think that's a reasonable uh, conclusion and, and I would think that he thought at this point he had won all of uh, their future children. After all, they were now sinners like he was. And in addition to that, uh, 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says that he became the God of this world. And in addition to that, he must have thought that they would naturally follow him. It, it only makes sense. But if this is what the devil thought, and I would think that that's what he thought, he was absolutely wrong. Absolutely wrong, because God's judgment upon him involved ongoing hostility between his seed and Eve's seed. Now, the question we need to ask and answer is, who is the seed of the devil and the seed of the woman? There's a question that's generated some debate. There are various ideas as to who is the seed of the devil and who's the seed of the woman. As always, context brings clarity And we'll see that context when we meet again on the next Verse by Verse. I'm glad you could join us today as Pastor Steve Kreloff continues our study from Genesis chapter 3 about the fall of man. Pastor Steve's the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Stop by some Sunday if you're in town and need a place to worship. There's always a warm welcome and excellent Bible lessons. The address is 1893 Sunset Point Road. For more information, call Lakeside at 727-441-1714 or go online to lakesidechapel.com. That's lakesidechapel.com or call 727-441-1714. 
If you want to catch up on previous lessons in this series, they're all available for free streaming or downloading at our website, versebyverseradio.org. Click on the Message Archive link and you'll find not only this series, but hundreds of previous broadcasts that you can browse through. And feel free to listen to as many as you like. Also, there's a giving page if you'd like to help support this ministry. We depend on the gifts and prayers of listeners like you to keep Verse by Verse on the air. So thank you for your support. The web address is versebyverseradio.org. This is Jerry Peterson. There's a part of this passage that often goes unnoticed, and that's too bad, because it's the very first time that we see a prophecy of the coming Messiah. How cool is it that as soon as the first sin occurred, God promised us a Savior. Pastor Steve will tell us more on the next Verse by Verse. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's versebyverseradio.org. It's Andrew Southwick, and I want to tell you about the Deeper Faith Alaska Cruise, happening August 28th through September 4th. On the Deeper Faith Alaska Cruise, you'll enjoy the splendor of God's creation while worshiping with acclaimed Christian music artist Laura Story and hearing inspiring messages from the